Hey everybody, this is Pastor Cor Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. comprehensive stories of what Jesus did. Matthew was one of the earliest writers of the New Testament. Uh, matter of fact, if we, we only have copies of copies outside of Matthew. Every book in the New Testament is a copy of a copy. What I mean by that is there's no original text. There's no original text to uh, Mark, Luke, John, all of the writings of, of, of Paul, and all of the writings of the writers of, of Hebrews, John, and Peter, and those that will continue to write the New Testament, we have no original copies of those texts. Uh, all we have is copies of copies. And so Matthew is the only book in the New Testament that we have original, original copies of, and it is the earliest writing. What I mean by that is it was written about 20 to 30 years, they believe, after the death of Jesus, where John is the oldest writing, which is believed to be somewhere between 60 to 70 years after the death of Jesus. And Matthew is the earliest writer. We believe uh, that Luke was probably the first one to take to pen. Uh, but uh, as far as original copies, Matthew is the only one we have original context from, meaning that there we have pages that Matthew actually wrote with his own hand, which is, which is very very amazing when you when you talk about antiquity, uh, when you talk about books of antiquity, uh, this is uh, the the litmus test for truth or originality. Yeah. If you have an original copy, um, the most of your books that we read in college today are the same way. We we have no original writings of Homer. We have no original writings of of even people like Shakespeare. We have very few original texts from Shakespeare, even though those books are taught in college as books of history, the Bible is not. Um, the closest copy we have of Homer who wrote the Iliad, the Odyssey, um, if for those of you who may not know who Homer is, um, the closest copy to the copy we have of him is a thousand years after his death. Um, and so we have writings of Jesus 30 years after his death. This is why Matthew is the first book in the canon. And if you don't know about the canon, uh, this is where uh, the religious pundits of the time got together and said, these are the only books that we feel have the originality to be added to the books that we would call the Bible. Every, all the other books that we have, and there's more books of the Bible if you want to do the, your research on it. There's a lot more books that were not added to the canon. The only reason that these books were not added to the canon is because they lacked originality and antiquity uh, there could there was no proof and so every book that's in the canon which makes up our New Testament today and uh, all those books that make up the New Testament these are books that were vetted out and could they could find originality in these books they were vetted out to the very end it was a long painstaking task to create the canon which we consider today to be the New Testament and the original writings of uh, the disciples. It is a book written 
by eyewitnesses who quote other eyewitnesses, right? These are eyewitnesses. This is an eyewitness account. When Matthew was writing about Jesus and what Jesus said and what Jesus did, it is an eyewitness account, like he was there, right? And so today we, we have a lot of news, a lot of journalism. We, we are inundated with, with information uh, who people never seen, never heard, or they just thought or saw or heard from someone. But Matthew is writing as an eyewitness to what Jesus did. And in, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, we find, I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, we find where Jesus goes to the wilderness. The Bible said he's led up by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tried of Satan. He fasts 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he's tried by Satan and he passes he passes that test right after this, this long 40-day, 40 40-night 40 venture into the wilderness to be tried by the enemy, Jesus begins to do uh, miracle upon miracle, okay? So this is when Jesus begins to heal people. The sick are healed, and we see all of this at the very end of Matthew chapter 4. Um, what Jesus does is he goes to the mountain, uh, and, and he goes to the wilderness. He's tried by the enemy. He leaves there. This is Matthew writing. He leaves there. Immediately, he goes and begins to gather disciples. He brings the disciples with him. He goes. We see this where he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees the two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, and he said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. This is where this happens. They, they leave their nets. They follow him, and then he saw... The, the sons of Zebedee, John, the James, and he tells them the same thing. They immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. And Jesus goes into Galilee at this point in, in Matthew chapter 4, and he begins to teach and preach in the synagogue. And he begins to heal. He heals all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. His fame goes throughout the land. Uh, all throughout Syria, they brought all sick people to him, diseases, torments. Uh, they that were possessed with the devil, uh, with th those, the Bible says that those that were lunatic and those that had the palsy, they bring them to him and he heals them. And then this is how uh, Matthew chapter 4 ends. It ends like this. There followed him a great multitude. People from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and even beyond Jordan. There's a massive multitude following Jesus. Jesus has become famous. He, he has went viral. This, this young man from, from Nazareth, this young Jewish boy named Jesus, uh, went from complete obscurity to almost overnight. Within, within a period of a couple months, he goes from no one knows who this guy is to people from all over the area are now just coming to see him. He is healing the sick. He is raising the dead. <clears throat> He's healing all manner of diseases. And they want to see him. <clears throat> they all come. Multitudes, the Bible says. So he takes them up into a mountain, verse 5. Chapter 5. We begin here in chapter 5. He brings them up into a mountain. And when he was set, when, when he got to where he needed to be, and his disciples came around him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, if you, 
If you know your New Testament, you know that Jesus starts this lesson in chapter 5, and he doesn't end it until the end of chapter 7. This is one lesson from 5, 6, and 7 is all one lesson. That's why this is called the longest lesson. This is the longest lesson that Jesus will teach in his ministry. From time to time throughout his ministry, he will take moments and he will teach. He will speak parables. He will speak to the disciples. He will communicate to them. The disciples will say, why do you always talk to the people in parables? He will say, well, because to them, they understand the parable. But for you, you understand the secrets of the kingdom. And there will be moments like this all through the New Testament. But from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7 is one single lesson that Jesus, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest lesson that Jesus will ever teach. And here's how he begins it. He begins it by telling them, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. This is Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I'm going to stop right there because this is a cohesive thought. This is, what, this is a point in Jesus' sermon, and I'll, I'll, I'll move on from here. But from verse 3 to verse 12 is a cohesive thought. Blessed, 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 rejoice. Now, for sake of time and going to each and every one, I want you to see the common theme of these blessings. There is a common theme of these blessings. Here's the common theme. They all are characteristics of what we consider weak people. He didn't say blessed are the rich. He didn't say blessed are the strong. He didn't say blessed are the powerful. He didn't say blessed are the gifted. He didn't say uh, blessed is the strong man. He didn't say, blessed are the talented. He didn't, he didn't point to strips. What Jesus does here in the, in the first part of his sermon is he points out to people who are common that it's blessed to be common. The people who have gathered themselves together to Jesus, this multitude of people, they are lost, they are undone, they are sheep without a shepherd. Jesus will look upon them later in, in, in the book of Matthew. He will have compassion on them because he says that these people are weak. They have no shepherd. No one's over them. They're just, they are just like sheep who have gone astray. They just wonder. No one's leading them. No one's guiding them. And Jesus takes time out in the beginning of his sermon, and he begins to tell them 
that if you're poor in your spirit, you're blessed. If you're here today and you're mourning, you're blessed. If you're here today and you're meek, you're humble, you're blessed. If you're here today because you're hungry for God, you're blessed. If you're here today and you're merciful, you're going to obtain mercy and you're blessed. If you're pure in your heart, you're blessed because you're going to see God. If you're here and you're peacemakers, you're blessed because they shall be called the children of God. If you're persecuted, you're blessed. If, if, if men revile you and try to bring evil upon you, you're blessed. So, so rejoice. He just told every person in that crowd that was weak, that was lowly in heart, who had meekness in them, who had mercy in them, people who probably felt like they didn't fit in because they weren't like everybody. He told all of them, he said, rejoice. You have no reason to be ashamed. If you're poor in spirit, you have no reason to be ashamed. If you're here today and you're mourning, you have no reason to be ashamed. If you're meek and you're lowly in heart, you have no reason to be ashamed. If you're, if you're just hungry for more of God, you have no reason to be ashamed. Merciful, pure in heart. If you're a peacemaker, you have no reason to be ashamed. If you're persecuted, you have no reason to be ashamed. I'm telling you to rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. They persecuted people before me, and they're going to persecute me. They persecuted people before you, and they're going to persecute you. You're going to be all right. Matter of fact, you're blessed. I know you don't feel blessed because you're always trying to make peace, but no, blessed are the peacemakers. I know, I know you don't feel blessed because you're, you feel like you've been in a constant state of mourning for the last few years maybe, but, but you're blessed. And and you may not feel blessed because you have so much mercy. You give people chance after chance after chance after chance. But God said, you shall receive mercy. And maybe you feel less than today because you're so pure in heart and because you're hungry for more of God. He said, you're blessed. And maybe you feel weak today because you're persecuted. He said, you're blessed. I love how Jesus starts his sermon by bringing everybody to a level playing field. <laughs> you see, Jesus is not necessarily trying to just tell people and hype them up and say, hey, you're, you're awesome, you're this, you're that. He's telling people who are looking at him who have, who have literally been searching for something. And these the Bible will tell us in different parts of the New Testament that the people that followed him were mostly the outcasts of society. It was the weak ones who followed him. It was those who were in need. If you didn't need nothing, you weren't following Jesus. The Bible says they followed him because they saw what he could do. They were in need. And, and, and when they come to Jesus, they feel like they're no good. They feel like, you know, maybe he will give me something that will make me better. But he says, no, you're blessed just like you are. You're blessed in your mourning. You're blessed in your poorness. You're blessed in your hunger. You're blessed in your mercifulness. You're, you're, you're blessed in your pure of heart. You're blessed and you don't even know it. It's not blessed are the arrogant. It's blessed are the meek. It's not blessed are the confident. It's blessed are the meek. It's not blessed are those that render evil for evil. It's, it's, it's blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. If you give it, you get it. 
He levels the playing field for everybody in the sound of his voice. He brings everybody together in one moment and he says, no matter where you're at today, you can be blessed. And for those people who may have been in the crowd who weren't poor in spirit, who maybe those who weren't mourning or maybe those who weren't meek, maybe they heard a word that convicted them. They said, I need to be more pure in heart. Maybe, I, you know what, I, I need to show mercy. Maybe that's why I'm not blessed because I have no mercy in me. Maybe that's why I'm not blessed because I'm not meek. Maybe that's why I'm not blessed because I'm not a peacemaker, I'm a troublemaker. It gives confidence to those who are low and gives rebuke and reproof and conviction to those that are high and puts us all on the same. This is how Jesus starts his, this is how Jesus starts his ministry. This is his first lesson. And he tells them to rejoice. And he goes on to say his next point he's going to make in beginning in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. But ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Another complete point here. We're going to go to the next uh, part of the sermon in, 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 in just a moment. But what he's trying to get them to see here is who, who they are and what they represent. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, all it's good for is to be thrown on the ground and be walked on. You, you're supposed to change the world around you. You're not supposed to let the world around you change you. You're supposed to be the difference. You're not supposed to blend in. If just a little bit of you gets added to the soup, the whole soup is affected, right? Yeah. When, when, when you're salt, you have a big effect. Just a little bit goes a long way. You change the whole atmosphere. When you walk into the conversation, you should change everything. When your voice gets added to the conversation, the whole thing, because I'm salt. I'm salt, so I've changed my environment. Everything tastes different when I am added to it because I'm the salt of the earth. And if I've lost my savor, I'm no more than dirt. If, if I'm supposed to be the change, and if I'm, if I'm not changing anything, then I'm just like everybody else. I'm just common. I, I should be thrown on the ground and walked on like dirt is walked on. I'm, 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 just, I'm just letting people walk over me because I'm not, lifting my voice and trying to be the change that needs to happen in the world. I'm the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. See, Jesus is putting it on us. He's, he, he, he's showing us that you're the light of the world. 
You are the light of the world. And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. A little light shines and brightens up the darkest room. You don't, you don't, you don't need a whole lot of light to be seen. Men, men don't light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they take it and they put it on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You are salt and you are light. You are a changer. Right? Salt and light changes its environment. And all you need is a little. You are salt and you are light. You may not feel like you're having any effect, but what little you are doing is making a big difference. And if you are light and you're hiding your light, if you're, men, God said, listen, I'm not, I didn't set you on fire for me for you to go hide in the darkness. When a man lights a candle, he sets it on high so that it gives light to everybody in the house. You are above and not beneath. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Yeah, that they can see what you did, your good works, so they glorify God. You are a changer. You are put on this earth to change the environment. You are put in your family to change the environment. You've been put on your job to change the environment. You've been put around the people that you're around to change the environment. You're supposed to be a change in your family. You're supposed to bring something different to the table. You are salt and you are light. And you are a city that is set up on a hill. God God, God doesn't do things in the dark that will not be brought to light. He said anything that was done in the dark shall be brought to light. God said, I'm, I'm here to light up the world, and you are that light. You are the light. I'm the light. Somebody say, I'm the light. I'm the salt. Yeah, you're the light. He says unto them, in verse 17, going to the next thought here, and, and this is my last one for today because I'm, I'm going to end a little bit early today. He said in verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's about to expound on this a little bit. He's about to, he, he told us, he said, I'm not, I'm not coming to break, to, to tear down the law. I'm coming to fulfill the law. He said, he said, I'm not coming to tell you that the law is, is, is of no avail. 
I, I didn't come here to teach you a different way. I came to teach you a more perfect way. There's a difference. I'm not, I'm not here. Don't, don't suppose that I'm here to tell you something different about what the, the scribes and the Pharisees have said. Don't think that I've come here to, to teach to you that you don't have to do these things. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to bring it fullness. I come to give you understanding of the law. You see, they just taught the laws. They just taught the laws how they were. But I came to give you understanding. Now the next few scriptures are going to be hard because Jesus is not coming to destroy the law, but he's coming to give it fulfillment. He's coming to give it understanding. He's, he's trying to explain to people who have never been explained to what the law really means. And so he begins by saying this. Ye have heard that it was said by men of old time, the law, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that's the law, that's what you heard. You heard that you shouldn't kill. But here's the fulfillment of that law. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. He said, you heard, Here, here's the law that you have. It's, it's, it's so cut and dry. Don't kill. He said, but let me fulfill that law in your hearing. I come to give you the full explanation of that law. You heard it said, don't kill. But I'm telling you, don't hate. Because in the economy of heaven, in the fulfillment of the law, hatred is just as bad as murder. Don't be angry with your brother. Don't, don't say raka and don't call him a fool. And in, in verse 23, he said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and remember that your brother hath aught against thee, leave your gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest it, at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. So he talked about murder, and he said, listen, Murder and anger in the economy of heaven are the same thing. Don't be angry. And if you bring your gift and you remember your brother's mad with you, leave the gift there. Don't, don't, don't try to give God a gift that's tainted by anger. Go fix it with your brother and then come back and offer that gift. And you should agree with your enemy quickly. Why? Why should I agree with my enemy quickly? Because it ain't worth your soul. Okay, whatever you say. All right, God bless. Thank you. I agree. 
You know, the worst thing you can do to somebody who really wants to get, get at you is just agree with them and move on about your life. Okay. God bless. I love you anyway. God bless you. Because if you get down on their level and you start throwing mud with the pigs, only the pig is happy. Only the pig's happy. Some of y'all may not know this, but just a couple months ago, like, the leadership of this church was attacked online, on Facebook, yeah. But they came on Facebook, told a bunch of lies about the church and leadership, that we did all this and did all that. It was lies, complete, complete and utter lies. And so somebody called me and said, what should we say? I said, don't say nothing. What are you going to do? I'm not going to do nothing. You should respond. No. Why? You start throwing mud with the pigs, and it just, you get muddy and the pig gets happy. No, I'm not, truth don't need defense like that. I have to prove myself. I mean, because then at the end of the day, it's just he said, she said. And, and, and who knows what to believe? No, it's okay. God going to handle God's business. Amen. Amen there. Agree with that adversary quickly. Okay. God bless. You do you, boo. And we're going to move on and smile. And we're going to have church. And 90% and, and, and of y'all in this room didn't know nothing about it. Why? Because I'm not here to feed the wolves. I'm here to feed the sheep. Come on, somebody. God didn't call me to feed the wolves. He called me to feed the sheep. Yeah. So just agree, move on, <laughs> it's going to be fine. Because if you don't, the adversary wants to get you in a, because then if he can get you in it, he'll deliver you to the judge, and the, the judge will deliver you to the officer. He wants to get you caught up. All, all the enemy wants to do is get you caught up, so don't give him the opportunity. Don't let your anger get you in trouble. You see how God is fulfilling the law? You see how Jesus is fulfilling the law? He's given us the full explanation of the law because it helps us. He said, if all you do is look at that, that tablet of those ten, and you just read it across, thou shalt not kill, you're missing the whole point. Hmm. This is why at, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he, he will say, listen, there's really only two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Because if you love your neighbor, you won't do all that stuff. And if you love God, you won't have anything before me. It's as simple as that, but let me break it down for you in ways you can understand. Here's what he said in this last one I'm going to do. He said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, to God be the glory. Like, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's just plain and simple. But he says, I, I didn't come to destroy that. I came to fulfill that. I come to bring understanding to that. Like, watch what you look at. Watch, watch how you let your mind roam. Because if you, if you play it out in your mind, in the economy of heaven... You already did it. So you need to ask God to forgive you for what you thought. 
Well that's, well, that's just too hard. I just don't understand all that. Yes, you do. You do understand that. You do. Because if you could see into the mind of everybody here, half of us get up and leave. We'd be like, I'm not, I'm not going to church with these maniacs. Because your mind, your mind is the worst playground that you can play on. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand in his sermon, he's, he's teaching. He's trying to get people to understand, be careful what you think about. Because if it gets in your head, it'll get on your hands. It won't be long. So you, in his economy, he says, watch it. Because you heard it said this way, I say this. He's adding to, he's not taking away. Jesus did not come to take away from the law. He came to add to it. He came to bring us understanding. Yeah. And then he said, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. For it is profitable thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast in hell. If your right hand offend you, cut it off. Cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Say, Lord, my, take my eye out, take my hand out. This is crazy talk. Well, let me break it down to 2022. Because this is Jesus talking to his crowd. Let me talk to my crowd. If you can't handle that app, delete it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if you can't handle the internet, don't get on it. Just don't have it. Or put, put some accountability in your life where you can't. Mm-hmm. If the eye offends you, pluck it out. Just, just take a, just don't, don't put yourself in the situation. Yeah, like if you know you like her a whole, whole lot, don't go on a date alone. I know this is hard talk, but listen, it's 2022. If you're not married, you really don't need to be alone. That's just real talk. You know why? Because you are a human being. You are a human. And you can't trust you. We got to stop trusting ourselves so much. Well, I just don't know about it. I just don't, you know, I just don't. But the Bible says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. That's Bible. That's what the word said. It's not good. You know why it's not good? Because you can't control you. You are stronger than you. Yes, you are. You're strong. You just don't know you're strong. You didn't know until you were presented with the option. And by then it's too late. Then it's too late. There's, I'm not going to ask somebody to raise their hand, but there's a lot of folks in this room that can raise their hand and say, oh yeah, I thought I was saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized. And then in the back seat of a car, <laughs> I love Jesus so much, I was shouting in the choir, speaking in tongues, and then I was speaking in tongues in the back seat of the car, see? Because you can't trust you. 
Jesus is trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get us to understand. Don't put yourself in this situation. Just don't, just don't let it happen. Cut it off. Cut it off. Because it's better to marry than to burn. Don't burn. Don't burn. I'm, I'm closing here. Jesus will continue on this. I'll, I'll continue this next week in Bible study. Um, this is the longest lesson that Jesus will teach in his ministry. And this lesson will consist of three whole chapters. But it, I believe that in these lessons are the answers of life. That in these lessons that we can see, that we can walk in these lessons, we can walk and fulfill the will of God for our lives. That when Jesus sits down and he's talking to these people, he gives them in three chapters in this longest lesson, the Sermon on the Mount, he gives them in these lessons the answers to eternity. How to walk, not only spirituality, which Jesus is very good at, but also practicality. Because we can be as spiritual as we want to be, but if we can't be practical, we're fooling ourselves. We can get up here and shout, speak in tongues, do all that stuff, and we need it, and I love it. But if we can't go home and live it, we're confused. We're confused. All we've done is become religious and put ourselves in religious places. That's all we've done. We've given ourselves religious position, but none of us can live out just a spiritual walk. It has to be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all day Sunday type deal. This has got to be something that I can actually think about. I can actually, I need to see it mirrored in the word so that I can mirror it in my life. And Jesus is breaking down to common people, not scribes and Pharisees. He's breaking down to everyday people. You are salt, you are light, you are blessed, and you need to know the practical side of the word of God so that you can live right and walk right. And somebody said amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together? Stand with me. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.